Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. Thanks for joining me. I'm really psyched to be here today, and we got a great episode coming up. Uh, one of my favorite artists, uh, Kate Stables, will be with me. Um, want to thank everybody for their support of Roadcase. Uh, and there's a number of different ways you can join the Roadcase community and support this podcast, one of which want to remind you, as I usually do, to uh, head over to patreon.com. Patreon is a site where you can support uh, podcasts, independent artists, and the like by subscribing to the podcast there. You get a couple goodies, you get uh, early access to episodes, and you can do that at patreon.com slash roadcasepod. Uh, you can also follow Roadcase on the socials. That's an easy way to show your support and uh, get some updates on future guests. Etc. Uh, we're at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel, Roadcase Podcast, where episodes are also posted. And a really great way to follow Roadcase is to follow us on your favorite listening platform. And while you're there, a great way to support Roadcase is to rate and review the podcast, uh, you know, leave those stars or write a couple words. Uh, that would be great help. Uh, draws attention to the podcast and helps me to continue to uh, to bring these great guests to you. Uh, really appreciate those that have shown their support for Roadcase, and thank you very much for doing so. So this week, I'm really psyched to have with me Kate Stables. Kate is the guitarist, vocalist, and banjoist, if you will, for the band This Is The Kit. Uh, Kate is British-born, lives in Paris. Uh, I originally uh, learned about Kate when she is a uh, when she was touring with the National in 2019 as a backing singer in support of their I Am Easy to Find tour. Uh, her vocals are just extraordinary. And I learned more about uh, This Is The Kit um, over the course of 2019 and 2020. And in October of 2020, Kate uh, released the, her album Off Off On, which is just a uh, gorgeous album, uh, lush production produced by Josh Kaufman, who was also, uh, who's worked with the national was involved in the day of the dead album of dead covers that Aaron Dessner also produced. Uh, he also produced the blue mountain album by Bob Weir. Uh, he's also in the band Bonnie light horseman. Uh, so he's got an amazing pedigree and, uh, Kate worked with him with uh, her album off, off on. It's just, uh, like I said, it's just some beautiful production. And beautiful lyrics, kind of whimsical at times, but it also sort of rocks in a very beautiful and subtle way. And I talked to Kate quite a bit about that. Um, 
Kate's also, uh, she participated in that Day of the Dead album and uh, covered Jack O'Row, and she's covered some national songs that you can see on YouTube. She's just really lovely, fun, sweet person, uh, and sweet human to talk to. Um, we talk about all kinds of stuff, touring with the national. She actually rode off on while she was touring with the national. So we'll talk about what that's like. We'll talk about her uh, pl- singing with the national and standing up there next to uh, very extroverted uh, Matt Berninger, lead singer of the National, and enduring his onstage antics and what's that? What's that like? Night after night, I saw Kate uh, perform at a uh, several different venues, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, really love Kate's presence on stage, and her gorgeous vocals uh, were just extraordinary. Uh, she performed on several tracks on the National I Am Easy to Find album, and as well, uh, lended those vocals to her uh, to the National during that tour. So. I'm really psyched to have Kate here. Uh, she joined me from Paris. Uh, her audio is uh, is kind of sort of tunnelish sounding, but uh, but it's it's uh, it's listenable, and uh, uh, that's kind of just the the world that we live in now. And doing these remote interviews, which I wouldn't have been able to do, because uh, Kate's uh, joined me from Paris. So I really felt fortunate, and uh, really appreciate Kate spending the time with me to chat and we kind of got a little nostalgic about the 2019 national tour. I saw like a dozen shows on that tour. So, uh, so that was really fun to talk to her about that. And, um, she's got tons of different musical influences. She's been touring with, uh, with, uh, with this is the kit and on her own for quite a while. And we'll talk all about that. She loves the Velvet Underground, and uh, we'll we'll delve into those influences a little bit. And she's also an awesome banjo player, and even breaks out the banjo a little bit and uh, gives us a little rundown on the banjo. So thanks again for joining me. This is a really uh, special episode for me, and I want to thank all of you for uh, joining Roadcase for this one. Um, I want to thank Kate Stables again for taking the time to be here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Oh, there we go. Okay, Kate, joining me from Paris. Kate Stables, how are you doing Hi today? There. I mean, this morning for me, this is... Uh, That's true, it's uh, getting on for the evening for me, but yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. Nice to see you. I know. Nice to meet you. Thanks for going easy on me and hanging in on your, for your late afternoon so I could do it at a reasonable hour here. No, it's great. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah, um... So cool to see you, and I'm a big national fan, and I saw you play with them a number of times in 2019, and it was oh, just wonderful. Did and you? I, Where, which yeah. gigs were you at, just being nosy now? Oh, my God. Flow, I was sorry. at a whole bunch of them. I was at uh, Denver. When, where were you? were at uh, Denver. In Denver, I was in, right? I was in Denver, because Denver's a high place. Is that right? Is it an altitude place? <laughs> yeah, well, it's known as the Mile High City. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, I remember Denver. Right, but it was super, it's like in the summer, it just gets intensely hot there, too. You might remember Yeah, that. and I think it was hot. I remember having a little stroll around Denver. It was nice. I liked it. That was the gig where one night Matt went out the side door and climbed the fence outside. Remember? Yes, I do. I remember which venue it is now because now I can picture the outside of the venue. And Mission the, ballroom. And the fence in question. Yeah, yeah. Right. I was like, what is going on? No one inside knew exactly what was going on until it's like afterwards, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah and people like posted him like climbing up over the fence. It's so often the Have way no one him? actually knows what's going on until after the event. Because, yeah, unless you're the one person like, you know, on the security door or whatever. <laughs> right, right. I mean, um, 
What was it like just standing next to that guy for so many gigs? <laughs> it was great. I feel like um, he was very um, respectful. Like, I sometimes I feel like I'd be up for him messing with me more, but at the same time, I probably wouldn't have known what to do if he had done something sort of like cheeky in my direction sometimes you did though sometimes there'd be a bit of interaction that was comical and i appreciated it but often he was just yeah, yeah. quite respectful of of um you know the other band members space or other than you know actually he goes he gets in brian's space quite a lot doesn't he well anyway whatever it's great he's a pleasure to watch it's really I mean, master class oh in, in, respectful um, of other yeah. people i mean <laughs> I, if you mean like not completely humiliating people but <laughs> yeah, it's know. like his own <laughs> His, As I said that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Every single member yeah. of the band, apart from me, probably had a load of abuse he, from him. He ripped into James a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, he was always ripping into James, the who dealt with it so gracefully. He was great. I was quite impressed. Oh, absolutely. Him. He's like, are you there? Like, are you there tonight? Or what's going on? Or like, yeah. okay, you're going down. Like, I'm going to take you down tonight, basically. Exactly. Picked, you know, then, there was, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, he's a bully. Every it's show. Funny. Now you're the, saying it, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about it though because it's hilarious i mean funny, from where yeah. i was standing it was like every show i mean i saw 10 or 12 shows on that tour okay great they came, probably they about ripped, as many as i did you probably they yeah he ripped they, they ripped through the midwest and did like six shows here in 2019 so that was a no-brainer you know <laughs> no <-brainer>. yes 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 <laughs> cleveland yes. yeah cleveland ann arbor indy Two in Chicago. They played that a tiny little. I don't know if you heard about it. That little. I don't know if you were in Chicago. I, I think I was. I apologize. In I, I didn't like have a little check mark oh, no where. No worries. It was I mean, I can't even remember myself, so I'm not expecting anyone in the audience to remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I I I absolutely and thoroughly loved the, what you added to that band oh, during you. those shows. It was um, good. Yeah, and it turned me on to this as a kit, frankly. Because oh, nice. of because that that nature, um, and uh, and we're here. We'll go back to the national, but we're here also just a few days after Aaron won a Grammy for yes, and, for Aaron Dessner, and you, yeah, <laughs> and you and Aaron produced your uh, bashed out what was that 2014, and so yep. and you've known him for quite a while, and you've worked with him. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's that was. Spectacular. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, it's not his first Grammy because the National won for Sleep Well Beast for the best alternative album, but this seemed to have like a massive impact for Aaron as a producer. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's such a good producer and he's and he does it. He works so hard at it. Like he's all he's constantly working on something. And uh, it's just nice, isn't it, to see people that deserve a bit of um, acknowledgement getting a clap, getting a pat on the back, getting a yeah, fun, right. Sitting in a funny, drafty room with Beyonce, it's brilliant. Yeah, standing there like arm and arm, like <laughs> high fiving Taylor Swift. I think he he seemed like so humbled and blown away by all that too, right? Yeah, he's great. He's very gracious. He he's a real gent, and he knows he he's he's wise. It's, it was really nice to see him, um, and it's nice that Taylor Swift like nudged him forward to say some words first and stuff. Like it was, it yeah. was really great to see. He's he's friggin' deserves it. What a little legend. <laughs> yeah, he's done so much amazing work. I mean, from your albums to I can't even list what he's uh what he's done here at super accurately, but um the work that he's done with you and also with um uh the Grateful Dead cover album. Yeah. Right, exactly, Day of the yeah. Dead. 
yeah, which I really great. loved. And you did uh, Jack O'Rourke on that album too. What that's was true? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm that you did. Correct. That. Yep. Yep. I I concur. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's such a cool tune. And knowing your music, it's so that's such a. I'm like, oh yeah, Jack O'Rourke. Of course. You know, if you're going to choose right. a dead song, right? Yeah, I was guess that so. I mean, on I the list was... and the only song on the list? Yeah, exactly, because they get snaffled up pretty quickly. You know what, though? I really love the song. Um, is it called Unbroken Chain? It's a total epic, yeah. meandering yeah, yeah, odyssey. It's a, it's, it's an, yeah, it's a Phil Lesh song off of the Mars Hotel album from 1974. And like, I love that is probably my favorite Grateful Dead song. I don't know many of the songs. Really? I must admit, I've got to you know, fess up here. But um, That's okay. I just love it. But it's way out of my league. And, um, yeah, I've got a couple of friends I think I'd be able to learn it with, you know, if we spread out some of the duties. But, yeah, there was no there was no getting that one done in time. So, yeah, Jack O'Rourke it was. And Bryce was in town. And so we just went into the studio and bashed it out, you know, how it goes. <laughs> yeah, bashed it out, bashed out. There you go. <laughs> Always on the almost promoting. That's that's the way you got to do it. I mean, it's just always it's just unoriginal. Just I just name my albums after phrases I use all the time. Really boring. (laughs) Oh, really? Interesting. No, that's really cool. I know because you were saying like that. That this is the kit uh, title track was also something that you you said like it just moves around in your mouth a certain way. Yeah, I'm into sort of words and the the way they sound and feel just as much as their sort of meaning, sometimes more than their meaning, in fact. So, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. nice to enjoy language, isn't it? The sort of... Yeah, it is. Tactile side of it or whatever. Yeah, and your and your latest album has so much amazing language, come to think of it. <laughs> to, well, you thank know, you. By I the wonder. Way. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd call... I, yeah, it's hard to know. I, I don't have the perspective to be able to analyze the language on it. But yeah, I do use language. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. No, I mean, I. <laughs> Thank you, and that's what I'm here for to point out the obvious that the what she is speaking in language during the lyrics in the, on that album. <laughs> and uh, but it's um no, it's real. It's just very beautiful, and um, clearly you're very moved emotionally by many things that were going on. I understand that album was written like before COVID, but even, yep, even so, um, so, but it does, it does resonate a bit with the recent year. It's true. It's a weird one. Spooky. Yeah. I heard you talk about that somewhere that, um, that to hear people that, although that a majority of that recording was done before COVID that people would read into it. And you'd hear about, Oh, well, this is clearly about this, right? Yeah, exactly. And, people, but that's fine. That's that's what songs are for, to be interpreted by people, you know, to be passed through their own prisms and then come out a different shape the other side. It's, you know, right. my relationship with them stays the same, but other people's relationship with my songs is never going to be the same as mine. So she's got to, you know, let people interpret it how they want. Yeah, that must have been interesting to to see that happen. And it just kind of talks to you. Does that sort of make you think more about like, commonalities and just common themes and in, in music I and, think so. and in just life in general common theme yeah but also just like this the big question mark around the kind of collective unconscious or whatever you want to call it because it could mm-hmm. just be timing that everyone has reached a certain age and they're a certain generation in the history of humanity or whatever so we're all you know living as 
relatively similar sort of experience, depending on a lot of different things. I say relatively, I underline that word <laughs> relatively because right, like right, not everyone right. is living in Europe or North America or whatever. But um, what am I talking about? What did you just ask me? No, yeah, well, the, there, there are commonalities <laughs> like human, just human similarities yeah, across definitely. all spectrums for sure. It's true. Um, yeah, yeah. One thing I was interested in, just to go back to the Grateful Dead album for a sec, was that what was the process for choosing a song? Because you said, oh, they tend to get snapped up quite quickly. Well, yeah, I feel like w when I was Did doing... they throw you a bunch of songs and then you like you had to, okay, you can To be honest, I feel like then... they approached me after the project had like gotten off the ground a little, you know, people had been working on stuff already. And I, you know what, I, I think it was actually Bryce and or Aaron that suggested doing Jack and um, mm. and I was up for it. So that's kind of, I yeah. think that's how it happened. I mean, and anyone who was present uh, can correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, but I think that's how it happened. I think they just said, do you feel like doing this song? And I said, yeah, great, we'd love to. And then I did a version, I think, actually, but it was a bit weird. I did like a demo and it was a bit too much like the sort of recordings I make. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> Just a little bit too weird and wonky, not too high fidelity, and some funny noises. And... Uh, <laughs> And I don't even know if Bryce listened to it, to be honest. I think he was just like, come on, let's get in the studio and do it from scratch. I mean, funny, like funny noises, like musical noises or the squeaky well, you know, chair that we talked about earlier. Absolutely both. Like uh, droney bits, funny, weird, loopy bits, messing around with rhythms sometimes. And then, yeah, not being very fussy about the squeaky furniture in the room, in the recording situation. I can't, so. I can't hear the chair, no, so... No okay, one else well, I'm can, just giving so you worry. the visual, um, yes, the visual clue go. instead. Every time there I do go. that, there's a chair squeak. Trust me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you meet? Um, how did you meet Aaron? Because you know he, he produced your album, and you guys. Does he live in Paris also? He did for a few months last ah. year, and then the pandemic hit, and it was ah. just like, oh, forget it, guys. I think. Well, that's right. me putting it in my own words. Obviously, he's he um. Uh, what am I trying to say? How did I meet Aaron? <laughs> okay, Aaron. Um, I guess I met Bryce first because he yeah, was a friend. Bryce of, lives there too. Yeah, he does. I met him the first time he lived here when I was sort of like maybe seventeen or something, sixteen, seventeen. Mm -hmm. I was in Paris visiting my sister, and he was here. Maybe he was studying. Maybe, but he was definitely giving guitar lessons, and he was giving lessons to a friend of my sister's, and so they became friends. And so since then. I've always known that Bryce has got a band and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then they, a few of them came to a gig I was doing in London once, a few years back now. And Aaron was there and he liked the gig, bought my album and then said, do you want to work on some stuff together? Oh, but, wow. Um, I feel like I told that story in a really messy, unbalanced way. <laughs> Loads of information <laughs> about the guitar lessons, not much information about meeting Aaron. <laughs> But yeah, met him at a gig. Met him through my sister through at various gigs because mm. I would go and see them play when I was when I was a teenager and stuff. So, um, oh okay, you know that sort of thing. They'd stay at my aunt's yeah, house so sometimes if they needed like lodgings on tour and stuff, things like that. Oh really? Okay, so you were friends with them before them? Yeah, before you you well, I mean, with them. yeah, like they were my big sister's friends, but then they became my friends as well, which is nice. Oh uh, okay. Do you have a big family? 
Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, uh, yes, there's four of us. There's four sisters and we're two sets of twins. And so that makes mm-hmm. six in a family altogether. And that, you know, for some that's a lot. I think for my parents that was quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, of course, obviously everyone points out to you that the two sets of twins things is is crazy because, you know, of your connection yeah. with the National. Because as for oh, yeah, people I mean, that yeah, might not of, know, yeah, that's why for people that might not know, they got the two <laughs> two sets of twins in the national as well, with Bryce and Aaron Desner on guitar and yeah. Well, they've got Scott one set and, of twin. I mean, yeah, Scott and Brian aren't twins, but they are brothers. It's true. Oh, brothers, right? Two sets of brothers, right? So yeah. anyway, yeah, the similarities are there. Exactly. There's a lot of sibling action going on, right. but yeah. So for, for, I've got yeah, t- um, three sisters, and so uh-huh. that's my family. Right. Well, I have two daughters, so I can relate with your dad a little bit. Half oh, I can go nice. halfway there, but still. That's yeah, true. <laughs> I've got a lot of respect for fathers of daughters. Yeah. I think when I have another I have another son, so it balanced out. So oh, I got great. Yeah, you've got everything covered. And he's a rock and ro- he's a rock and roller, so that's uh, I'm, I'm it's I'm happy nice. about that. <laughs> How does his rock and rolling manifest itself? Is he in a band? In a number of bands? Uh, not in the band. I try and I, I, I like find some guys to play with or we'll do a, um, they have this really cool thing here called School of Rock where they oh, okay, have kids great. that just get together and they put them together and then they, um, I guess they just organize kids and into break them up into groups and, um, and then they can do performances and stuff. So it's like an extracurricular kind of uh, program uh and he plays the drums and um great he's also an athlete he plays some you know some racket sports so he's um uh you know he's busy with both but you know i encourage him to to play as much as he wants or as little as he wants i'm not gonna really super push him but he loves to listen to music and he loves you know and i'm I'm happy about that what's he into do you know what bands he's into yeah, he loves uh loves my morning jacket, which is a favorite cool. band of mine. Great. Can't necessarily get him into the national. <laughs> he'll get there. He'll get there. <laughs> yeah, he loves jam bands. He loves cool. uh, a jam band called Goose. He loves pigeons playing ping pong. He's not necessarily Great. a dead fan, but he loves all kinds of stuff: funk, wolf pack. Um, Brilliant. And what know, about your daughters? And, what yeah. are they into? Uh, they're into hip hop and no, well, I mean, more like pop and hip hop, you know, big Beyonce fans. They love Billie Eilish. They love the big, the big name acts for the most part. But my oldest daughter met uh, her current girl, her her current boyfriend is more into alt rock and Americana. So, you know, she's getting more into stuff like Avett Brothers, Phoebe Bridgers, um, those kind of acts, you know, um, I've given her the heads up with you and she likes your stuff. So, um, yeah, no, come on. Honor's mine, all mine. <laughs> um, so what was it like to, um, so you released, you did, you, you wrote a lot of off, off, on, or I don't know if it's most of it before COVID, but then you released it smack dab in the kind of in the middle of 2020 or something like that, I want to say. Yeah, first, exactly. Sort of first half-ish. What was that like? Um, well, it's hard to know what it was like because I've got, I feel like I, it's hard to compare, isn't it? Let me try and work out. So, yeah, everything was written before. It was written well before. Then we recorded it um, the first week of March mm-hmm. 2020. And then everyone mm-hmm. went home and then it was just like, boom. And, you uh, know, and then it was, that yeah. was the first lockdown for most of the most countries. And so that was weird having recorded it, but then not get, not being able to go and mix it with Josh and stuff. 
but it got mixed remotely. It's longer and fiddlier when you do things long distance, but it's doable. Right, right. And, and was then, there kind of a cooling off period then when you were like, oh, shit, we're in COVID now. Now we've got to kind of readjust the way that we're walking, working together. Kind of. I mean, there was a readjustment, but to be honest, it stayed true to the timeline that had always been the plan like nothing changed really mm -hmm. much time wise i think it was always i think rough trade always wanted to release it sort of in the autumn time ish so it all we cut it almost feels like it was a bit of a nope just carrying on no not paying attention to the rest of the world carrying on right but you know because that's all you can do really is just sort of you know keep on chugging and so yeah then it came out and then it was a bit weird because there was no gigs but there was loads of this <laughs> Lots of like meeting people on yeah, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I can help you do something that's familiar with. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I got really into it. It really um, sorted me out because you feel quite isolated, don't you, when you're just only in your flat and not going outside. And then I was chatting yeah. to all these people all over the world. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are some positives, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, do you... Um, Talk to me a little bit about your touring and touring experiences, but I guess the first thing that comes to mind is... Uh, that you weren't able to tour behind this album. Yeah. It's a bit so weird. Like, how did that? Yeah. How did that? Good question. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> how did that? How did that? That's always a good, I have that written down here as a, just a good question. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, it's, you know what? I think, again, I've been a bit in denial about it and I've just been like, yeah, we'll do it later. We'll do it later. But actually mm. the reality is now dawning on me that we aren't touring this album and that the label would probably quite like me to have another album in the works and then I'll mm. tour that one. I, you know, it's weird. It feels like it right. might have been, it might have been leapfrogged this album, but we do have oh. some gigs still penciled in for the future. You know, there are some gigs that everyone's hoping will happen before the end of 2022 or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, really. um, so, I don't know, it's weird. I mean, I, I don't feel like I've got much grounds for whinging because I'm sort of happy and healthy and alive and made an album and I'm probably going to be able to make another one if I can knuckle down and write it. You know, there's there's a lot of people that have come off a lot worse than me from not only COVID-19, but also from the lack of touring. Like For people whose like, bread and butter is literally gig by gig, Yeah, it's awful. But because... Um, but because, you know, I've that's not my only source of income. Gigs isn't my only musician's income. So I, you know, doing okay, treading water okay. Yeah, what else do you do? Well, just, you know, um, writing stuff, joining in with other people's projects, a bit of session stuff if people need someone to come and do a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of um, working on other people's songs with them, you mm -hmm. know, publishing that sort of stuff, stuff I don't even really yeah. understand how it works or how I can stay afloat from it. But so far, <laughs> so far, it's doing okay. It's the armbands. It's like the sort of life jacket. Yeah. I mean, you're a professional musician and you're a composer and you're a, uh, you know, you, you, you're a vocalist and you're an instrumentalist and, uh, and you've managed to have a lot of work and have a lot of connections there. So that's a yeah, good thing. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, it's fine. It's good. People ask me to, to do bits on their projects and I enjoy doing it. So that's been, it's been a nice year for that actually, because normally I'm too busy being on the road to join in with people's like recording projects or like creative projects. So it's nice right. 
to be able to do that. Isn't it interesting how people, and what I've heard is just from talking to people in the industry um, on this show and elsewhere, is just how people, and just in real life, I mean, how people, you, you just lean into what you got. Yeah, exactly. You just sort of, okay, what do I have in my tool bag? Okay. Yeah. This right. spanner. I'm gonna, you know, do something with this spanner. <laughs> <laughs> but um, sorry, I mean wrench. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know. I, there I we don't go. Know how. So we had spanner. I mean, spanner. I think before we went on the air, you used argy bargy, which kind of completed made my day. So. Oh yeah, argy bargy. A lot of spanner argy bargy. It's been 2020. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of um, leaning into. Making, I mean, I always use this term, but making lemonades out of out of, out of lemons, really. Yeah, exactly, but, and that's a good lesson in life. That's what actually life is. And this year has been a real pressure cooker, condensed droplet of what it is to kind of manage and get through and adapt. Like be adaptable, I think, is a big lesson we've all learned. Yeah. Yeah, life's just a bunch of fucking lemons and it's just how much lemonade and what, you know, how much sugar you can put in that lemonade. Yeah, Let's exactly. just keep the analogy going. How much vitamin <laughs> C can you absorb from that? <laughs> right, there you go. Well, I mean, I'm kind of selfishly disappointed if you don't tour that album, but I hope that you keep a lot of the songs we, uh, in the rotation. I think we just will because me and I, like, I personally, and I think maybe the band as well, don't want to, don't want to speak for them, but I just want to play them. So. It'll it'll be a while before um like we were toured with Moonshine Freeze the previous album, it felt like for so many years and so many gigs that I was oh, ready yeah. I was ready to like give those songs a break when it when we did stop, but with these ones I just want to play them I I feel like I haven't actually even played them enough myself yet I could just do it in this room but you know it's nice with the band you could play for me too if you want but <laughs> um <laughs> um. Is it is it playing per se as much as it is um, getting being in front of fans and getting that reaction and having that connection over those particular songs in a live setting? Yeah, definitely. That is, it's just so different from you know playing the song on your own in your laundry ridden bedroom. Like it's just <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a different thing because yeah, you're communicating with people and you're and there is an exchange. I don't even know what the exchange is if it's like energy or appreciation or just like human acknowledgement that everyone's existing together but it's just it's really part of um what i and i know a lot of other people need i think to sort of stay healthy and to stay ticking over as a functioning human being and musician and just and that's you know and i'm in a i'm lucky enough to be in a band with like three of my favorite people and so to be able to play music with them you know it's just it's really the one thing i love to do so i really would i'm looking forward to being able to do it again and what's your view on actually on live performance i mean do you like being out there do you like being on the stage are you a natural performer i don't know if i'm a natural performer i think i've always been quite a shy person like growing up and stuff but i think um when you're in like it's funny because i know quite a few musicians that struggle with social situations but are really good at gig situations and so i wonder what that line is between socializing in a room like on with people or socializing from a stage like i don't know it's whether it's some kind of safety zone or like you've got one job and you know how to do it so you do it i don't know it's a mystery but 
um, it's just so nice to be um, sharing that time with people and being on stage and feeling like um, I guess if you're at a gig I'm sorry this is probably really boring me just mulling this out loud at you I guess if, no not at all please mull <laughs> if you're doing a gig that you've been booked to do and people have like agreed to come they've come like of their own volition or whatever then mm-hmm. you feel all right about playing you them playing them your songs whereas like if you yeah. if you just turn up at a party and you just have to try and make conversation it's not the same you don't have the same like <laughs> self-confidence yeah. of like i've been invited here to chat to you all i don't know I, that's rubbish what i just said but you know there's something yeah. weird about shy off stage happy on stage don't know what that means well, it's not like you're showing up and uh, everybody enjoy your gin and tonics. And I'm just, I brought my guitar. So, uh, you know, at a cocktail party, yeah, <laughs> I'm I just going to like interrupt oh, all your conversation. No, these are people that, uh, that actually paid money and bought tickets to, to see you play. Yeah. Which is really nice of them. I, it blows my mind every single time that people come to my shows. God bless oh, them. That's, well, you're so, you're so humble about that. I mean, they come because you, you rock <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i rock but anyway i have a nice time and it's nice if they have a nice time too hope so yeah yeah so uh, talk to me a little bit about um your beginnings in 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 with bands and 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 with touring beginnings um well i guess beginnings with bands you know let's think i played a little bit in my partner's well, in a few different projects with my partner when I first met him when I moved to Bristol. I had a mm-hmm. I had a band with my friend Rachel Dad, who's a really great musician. We had a band together called Wellbone Polly. And I and when I was like a teenager, I would just sing songs with Rosie, who plays bass in This Is the Kit. We just me right. and mm-hmm. me and her and her brother would just like play music together after school uh-huh. or whatever. So that's kind of my band that was my band early days. And then um touring I guess it just comes from making music, doesn't it? For me, anyway. I'm a bit. I've I've not got like a clever music industry brain, three D three D chess like tactics. For mm-hmm. me, I've just always written songs, recorded them, and then done gigs and sold the CDRs or whatever when I started making more official albums, the records, whatever, mm-hmm. at the gigs. So for me, that's just my um, pattern make some music, go and play some music, find a bit of time to make some music, go and play some music. So I think I've just done, it feels like I've just done quite a lot of touring since I was sort of, you know, since I moved to Bristol in the sort of early 2000s. Right. Do you enjoy the travel part of touring and kind of the I love it. gig to gig process? You do. Yeah. Why? I love looking out the window. I like sort of being in my own brain a bit and just getting into that, um, state of mind where you're just in a train or a car for however many hours. I like traveling with people because you get, you know, I just love stopping at service stations. I just <laughs> like, um, you know, having a few hours extra. So going and finding somewhere to have a swim. I don't know. I just like finding out about different places and being with people in that process as well. Like whenever I whenever there's time me and Rosie will always try and find a um as many charity shops as we can and also a swimming pool if we can like wherever we'll wherever we play 
Mm-hmm. And there's just things like that that I like doing. I love seeing different places, town centres, you know, wandering around town, seeing what shops there are. I mean, this is absolute boring drivel, what I'm putting you through here. But this is just, no, what, no. I, this is just what I just love going places and looking around and seeing things and then meeting people at gigs and then going on to another place. Yeah, yeah. Where where has, um, and I assume your touring is t- taking you around the world. I mean, you've opened, you, you opened for the National, you open you work with, uh, you toured with Sharon Van Etten. Yeah. Um, tell yes. me a little bit about. It's true that um, I feel like I'm more at home. I feel like most of my career, if I'm going to call it that, is has been spent like opening for other people so like that's where mm. i feel happiest just like opening up for a band watching the band play you know and then on with the next thing so it's i feel like recently there's been a, a few more it's been the other way around a little bit more and there's and and so that's an interesting different way of doing it but yeah you mean talk, in terms of you headlining yeah yeah exactly but that's nice as well nice to try and where possible get support bands that you want to support it's hard because you get you realize how political it is and like there's promoters and there's like record labels and there's all these people that are like want to get this their choice of band to open mm-hmm. up for you and then you'd quite like your choice of band you know whatever that's how it goes right, right. has that and where has that lined up for you <laughs> yes and no sometimes it lines up and and i think yes finally this is why i'm doing this and then other times i think mm, this isn't who i would have chosen but that's fine because everyone's doing their best and you know making it work but part of me right. does kind of miss the i mean the way this is the kit tours is still pretty scuzzy compared to um <laughs> like the way the national tours like it's pretty right. nice being on tour with the national and yeah. um, you know getting a hotel room things like that sometimes they cancel sound check it's just like being on a holiday oh, trip nice. but um, <laughs> but, um <laughs> but i also just love staying at people's houses like i love that that's what i like about touring with this is the kit is that we've done it for so long that we know enough people in sort of nearly every city that we can always find a floor mm-hmm. to kip on and make it work and it's just I really like it there's a great um i don't know if you're familiar with the jeffrey lewis comics but he has he, no. he's he's a really great comic he's a great musician and songwriter obviously but also a brilliant comic artist and there's one he did a comic called make me up a palette on your floor i think and it's about accommodation on tour and it is so perfect and i couldn't <laughs> believe it when i read it because it was like he was just describing my life and it was so great and i if you can find it i highly recommend it but it's just basically talks about how great it is staying with people on tour but then how people always want to like party with the band and you've got like an eight hour drive the next day and 20 more gigs to do in the next right and they can sleep in and they're not working and and then (laughs) yeah but it's great he 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 covers all angles of accommodation on tour and it's really nice i recommend it well, being yeah, okay. Is that Jeff Jeffrey Lewis? Jeffrey you said? Lewis, yeah, he's an. Abs- is that like Jeffrey? Like, how do you spell that? He There's spells various it J E F F R. Yeah, and then E Y or Y. I'm re- I'm really bad at spelling, so I'm always adding in or right, missing E-Y. out E's wherever. I feel. It's just with the G or the J. I think what works out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, go from that. there. That's yeah. a good starting point. <laughs> yeah, good, good policy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I deal with Jeffrey, is I like to just get the first letter down. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so with um, 
uh, with the national then, and you know, you were how tough it was. It is to travel, or you said you use the word scuzzy, which I also another word I haven't heard in a long time, and I thought that was almost <laughs> exclusively Southern Californian, but apparently not. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> scuzzy. Yeah. Uh, that must have been quite a, that was quite a difference then. Was that, um, that was how striking scuzzy. was that for you? Yeah, that was the other, that was the opposite end of the scuzzy scale. That was just really nice. I mean, it's just great. It's, in, it's an incredible sort of organism, this touring creature or ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe yeah. it, but you've got these people all looking after each other and making sure it works and in charge of different like elements of the touring and of like the building of the, of the stage every night and then making sure everyone's looked after and has got somewhere to go and you know like the organization just blows my mind and it was a real um it was a real education i think being part of that and watching it all around me and sort of thinking wow this is like being in some sort of intricate termites nest or something it was great right did you feel like it was too hyper structured or no because i because i feel like it was there's, there was loads of room for adjustment. Everyone was really good at like sort mm. of, oh, well, you know, um, the band would prefer to do it this way. Okay, so we'll change it a bit or so, you know. Blah, blah, blah. So it was good. Everyone was up for tweaking stuff and making it work, and I was really impressed. Yeah, it's such a, it was such a huge uh, – that the, the whole audio, the whole visual aspect yeah. of it was – remarkable you know with the, the little cameras it, and they yeah. would shoot from different angles and then like pixelate that it's and, really oh. great they're super crew i just can't believe how they've managed to find this like crew of like angels sent from heaven like they're really incredible how yeah, hard right, they work right. and how good they are at what they do and i can't believe the hours they put in like they're working sort of like 20 hour days or something it's absolutely insane but yeah. you know they're very good at it. It seemed like they had it really down for sure. And yeah. it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful show. Um, what are, we talked about Matt before. I'm just so curious as to what that was like also just kind of. What, Mr. Burning um, guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apart from his like onstage antics and such. Um well, let's start from, I want to ask you questions about I Am Easy to Find, which was their last album. Yep. And it's a very interesting album um, in the way that, first of all, it was part of it was based uh, or in a, as an accompaniment. It was very kind of vague the way they stated it was it's either influenced by the Mike Mills short movie or Mike Mills movie was influenced by the first part of that album, which they wrote prior to the publication of the movie. And then they wrote the second half after it, or I don't know if I'm getting the timing right, but, um, it was, the movie was about a woman's life cycle. Um, and, uh, how she grew up, but it was so inter that movie was so amazing the yeah. way it was always Alicia Vikander, right? I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name properly, but yeah, and she right. starts off as a as a baby and ends up as an old woman, but never changes her physical form during that, right? It's Which great, was an yeah. amazing feat, right? Yeah, really nice. Um, so it's really a representation of a life of a woman. Mm-hmm. Then instead of having Matt really kind of be the lead in every single song per se, he also had female vocalists that were even really the main vocalist of many songs and yourself included on several songs. Um, and then he brought other female vocalists and they were not 
really backing vocalist in the sense that physically way back there in the back, you were right up front singing the songs. What, what did that mean to you and what impact did it have to be able to add to that entire feeling of um, that they were trying to evoke with that album? Well, I think it was just a nice... Well, first of all, I feel like um, just sort of going back to the project between Matt and the National and Mike Mills, like it was just such a great... Um, I mean, I want to use the word accidental, but I don't know. I don't, probably wasn't accidental, but it felt accidental or organic or whatever. They were just had this kind of correspondence and they were just sending each other music and texts and ideas and stuff. And it just seemed like this, both the album and the film just grew out of these two kind of separate gardens, as it were, one being sort of a rock band and one being a film director or, you know. And mm-hmm. it was, um, I just think it was a real great achievement. and all, And it did... I think they'd got quite, you know, they'd got relatively far with the um, songs. And then Bryce got in touch with um, me and a few other people that, like a few other singers that are kind of Paris-based. And we went and did some tryouts for some of the songs because, yeah, I think they'd got to a point where they realised that to have just this very masculine voice all the way through all of the music that was going to be used alongside this, like you say, a film about a woman's life. It wasn't really, I don't know, it didn't really fit, you know, or like not really appropriate or whatever to have just this sort of mm-hmm. yeah, right, male exactly. voice over everything. So, but then that gave them this really nice opportunity to work with all these incredible vocalists. Like there's such a range of mm. um, different voices on the on the album, but even more so on the film, I think, because different music gets used for the film that was re- then released on the album. Right. right? Mm-hmm, yep. And uh, it's just really nice to have that mixture and also to have the mixture when Matt's voice does come in. It's just great. The textures that um, that are sort of in harmony with each other. I just love it. I'm really into people's voices and just the human voice in general and just hearing the sort of variety and the different personalities and the different kind of textures that gives to the story i thought was really great yeah they did a really good job i feel like it was almost like a bit of a like i say an an accident but i don't know it probably wasn't an accident because they're all really good at what they do but you know it felt a bit like oh we've we've made this beautiful album with loads of people yeah it always feels good when it seems like an accident but you know it's not with them no way (laughs) yeah yeah they know what they're doing (laughs) <laughs> when they approached you for the album, did you know there was going to be a tour with that and that you would join up for that? Nope, not at all. I didn't even really know they were going to use anything I did. I was just sort of, you know, I mean, yeah. I One of the re- things I love working with Bryce as well is that he doesn't really say much about what he doesn't, you know, he said it was for a film. It's about a woman's life. You know, we're just trying out some stuff. But he didn't mm-hmm. go into super detail about it. I just sort of, maybe also it was just me and I'm just a bit of a... Um, airhead but i was just there like yeah okay yeah i'll sing that or okay yeah i'll give it a go sing it through a couple of times and then oh, i'll say, see you later bye guys and then and then it turned out that they um used some of the singing i did which is really great and then um a lot of the other sort of more heavy hitting like voices on the album were obviously too busy to go on tour so like so i got to go instead wow. yeah. <laughs> And so, well, yeah, good for you because it was awesome, and you added so much to that. I mean, not only are you on uh, several tracks, right? You're on "I'm yeah, Easy I mean, to Find," Rylan, and I think "Not in Kansas." Yeah, officially. There's, there's a few, I mean, not. I don't. Hang on, I don't think I'm on "Not in Kansas." Um, 
you know what? I can't even remember. Isn't that awful? But because oh, I know that I sang the, on... You get to do the powerful line in Rylan <laughs> and it gets a huge cheer also definitely during, in Ryland, uh, during definitely the show, which is amazing. Find. But yeah, it's really, um, it was really good fun. And what was also just insanely good fun is that Pauline, um, Mina Tyndall, the, the Bryce's wife, who's also a musician and a singer, mm-hmm. she was the other voice most, like a lot of the time on tour as well. And we just had such a good time together. It was insanely right. enjoyable. And then when she wasn't available, Hannah Georges came and um, like replaced her. And so that was great because I got to meet mm-hmm. Hannah for the first time and we got on really well. I mean, I just felt so lucky to be able to like have this really nice touring experience with these wonderful friends and then also be with all the lovely guys in the band. I mean, it was really mental. I can't even... I can't even form sentences like about it. <laughs> I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the sentences that you are forming, however. <laughs> I don't think I saw I didn't see Hannah George. I saw um Zoe Randall with with Mina. With oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, cuz a lot of the time, I mean, half of the time me and Pauline were together and then half the time one of us wasn't available, so it was like one of us with whoever else was available. So I mean, uh, that doesn't make sense at all but you know it was a tag team right. sort of setup right well I, d- I have to ask like what is it like to be up there when matt's pulling antics and going off onto the stage i mean you haven't <clears throat> presumably you weren't seeing that from your perspective what's that like to be up on stage and i mean famously for anyone that's listening doesn't know what matt does he'll go off and jump over the barrier and stand on the barrier on the rail in the front and balance on everybody's hands and talk to people or sing with people sort of and then jump down and just in go. Faces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You get bar- they call it getting injured. Yeah, exactly. He goes and burninjures people. But um but uh, it was just it's just really great to watch. It's quite hard to sort of concentrate on what you're doing cuz you're just like off watching this sort of um thing happen you know moving through the crowd and then quite often i'd have to be like oh yeah hang on wait a minute i've got to do something in a minute i've got to sing i've got to pay pay attention (laughs) but i'm just there sort of feeling like i'm in the audience just watching going oh what's he gonna do now right yeah well i love watching matt matt the stage manager the the cable wrangler the matt wrangler he's such a sweet guy too i talked to him a bunch he's isn't he from like minnesota or something yeah an utter legend and he has twins too more twins. Oh, in the does mix. he really? Wow. Yeah. And so but, does my sister. There we go. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. But yeah, it, I mean, that's the thing. Like for me, experiencing those gigs was partly um, uh, as a member of the band. You know, part, it was like the musical side of it, but there was also the just watching everything happen, like watching the monitors do their stuff, watching the like front of house all of the texts like constantly just scurrying away just busy being it up and then whenever I wasn't on stage you'd see another side of it you'd hear them all sort of joking around on their walkie-talkies and being a bit naughty and stuff it was brilliant <laughs> I loved it oh when you weren't on stage because you that's what you were you were just yeah because they can talk to one another through the, the the inner ear monitors right yeah exactly yeah and so it's just there's there's so many like layers of life happening there's so many different levels of activity you know working your way back from like the performance through to the right right was that i know you had known them before but was that hard kind of environment to sort of jump into from uh from the from the from the get-go when you first started with them in for that tour 
Um, well, they're all really nice and welcoming and super generous spirited. So it felt like it was, it felt fine to start in on it, but it also, mm-hmm. like anything that you, that you're new at, you take a bit of climatizing and then you sort of get better at it and then you feel a bit more relaxed, you know, a few months later yeah. down the road or whatever. But that, you know, right, everyone right. was super nice and welcoming and respectful and really. Yeah, well, I um, I do remember one uh, moment in, I think it must have been in Denver, when he sort of put the focus back on you at one point. I don't know, it was, could have been one, after one of his, and it was one of his forays off stage or something, and, <laughs> or no, or he tripped over the monitor or something, and you, oh, I think he tripped over the monitor, or maybe pretended to trip, who knows. But, or maybe, did um, I think, was I, did I like that, do a flinch, like I thought he was going to fall you, or something, I've got a vague Yes, you like kind of <laughs> jumped out there a little bit, and then <laughs> he was, and then you kind of had this interaction with him, and, and, and that was, it was, it was, do you remember that? <laughs> it was really I, I, I do feel like I remember some... There was a moment was like, when I thought he was gonna like break himself, and I was, and I couldn't, and I normally I'm quite good at I was being like poker faced, reserved and not interacting, but I was like shit, and then I accidentally stepped out of character for a bit. Yeah, and then he, <laughs> of course, he took advantage of that. Yeah, <laughs> and then that's I right. called that's you his, out on it or something. That's like good. That. That's 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 his job. You've got to you got to take advantage of these opportunities. right exactly he enjoyed the fourth wall is utterly shattered with matt yeah for the most part yeah exactly he's busted through like you know he's well through the seventh wall yeah barely even (laughs) it's not even a wall really it's like a just that plastic kind of like sheathing that you use when you're redoing your house to separate the dust from one it's not even a wall um (laughs) that's a good image (laughs) <laughs> I um I love the feel of your music and I love I mean it's sort of like alt country americana folk alt folk for me not to like pigeonhole it but it's got it's got so many interesting uh, I love rock and roll rock and it's got rock hooks to me. Mm-hmm. That's what I that's kind of what I hear and I love okay. that about it. <laughs> You're like what? <laughs> no, no, no! I agree. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. Go on. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, I, I just I listen to that music and I think like, what in the musical ba- what what is it in your musical background that's kind of created that that blend that is represented on off off on. <laughs> so in terms of um, like musical influences, I guess it's tricky because in a lifetime there's a lot of different phases and bands and fads that you'll pass in and out of but I think um a lot of people assume that I have listened to only mainly folk music in my life and that's not really true like I have listened I was brought up in a fairly folky family and have listened to folk music but not much more than the other music I've listened to and there is a fair amount of sort of rock and and just you know just things like um when I was a teenager, like I listened to a lot of hip hop or trip hop or drum and bass, you know, is that your um, police force kicking into action? I guess, there? yeah, I was That's trying, great. didn't sound like a French one. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> it's great, it's good. <laughs> I've been noticing some French ones going past, so I hope, <laughs> hopefully they'll, love, you know, I'm right on a busy street. I'm right, <laughs> yeah, I'm on a busy street, but I'm in the back, so, That's but good. still, that was a loud one. Sorry. <laughs> it's good. No, it's great. But yeah, different um different ages, different years, different influences. But I one 
thing I do remember making a big impression on me when I was sort of maybe 11 a friend of mine gave me a tape of the Velvet Underground and mm. that um has and they've just stayed with me throughout my life I think that I really am um, just love the music they made so much and so there's that I like loud guitars always have so I guess that can get a bit rocky sometimes plus I shouldn't overlook yeah. the fact that I'm in a band with at least three other people so their input um is is quite important and Neil is just a total rocker you know he's a total Led Zeppelin the fall just anything as loud as possible and um, oh, right so his influence is really important and also like yeah I first met him through a band that he was playing in with my partner Jesse but also Jamie who played drums in this as a kit and they were playing mm -hmm. in a band called the lift men and it was just so great it was like my favorite band in Bristol they were from and just great guitar playing and so I, I feel like I've I feel really lucky that I've managed to trick him into being in my band now <laughs> <laughs> well it certainly makes sense that the, the really super varied background that you uh, musically that that you that you bring to the table so to speak I mean everyone yeah, especially the velvet underground yeah, yeah I, I, I mean I love I just love how um, I don't know how do I explain this that some people would be able to do this very easily but you know the shitty sound what what people would describe as a shitty sound but I just think is great and human and sort of like alive you know the recordings of them live or whatever or just the guitar sounds that they would get. I just love it. Yeah. I'm not into like super smooth, slippery production. And so, mm -hmm. um, and so bands like the underground make me happy. Yeah. Well, they, they do, they, they achieve a level of like, of rock and rocking without crushing the hooks i think like and, yeah and but sometimes it's, but they it's, it's do some, crush stuff right exactly but it's on purpose, and so do you push it so far it's yeah. brilliant not constantly but it's always there yeah well chosen yeah, makes... well placed really just proper good choices and great musicians and personalities as well because i feel like it's it's a sort of personal chemistry thing one of their magic powers is that i think not necessarily, not necessarily saying that everyone got on with each other all the time because that's not. But that is a, a chemistry in itself, isn't it? When there's like a bit of yeah, a yeah, which or a bit of maybe a, even makes it better. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, but yeah, what were you going to say? What's my favorite song? What's a favorite song? Yeah, um, I really like. Is it called "What Goes On"? The one where he's going woo, somebody shut the door. Um, <laughs> Don't know. And there's Doug Ewell doing stuff, and then there's Lou Reed like interacting, inter, inter, interjecting with like cheeky comments, and it's just so groovy and brilliant. And I wonder if it is called "What Goes On." It's not, is it? Shit, I don't know. Because this, I tape, can't, I yeah. can't, I can't help you with their discography. Because it's not, um, you know, people really super Velvet Underground geekheads got to be like, "What you say, you're like Velvet Underground? You don't even know what their songs are called." But yeah, well, welcome we're not to my brain. That. I do not know what anyone's songs are called. <laughs> don't even know what but my songs. But if you heard it, you'd know it was them. But if you heard it, you'd know it was them, and that's I the important it, thing. I heard it, I'd be able to um, sing along with all the cheeky Lou Reed bits with him going, "Somebody shut the door." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
And what brought you to banjo early? Because just the incorporation of banjo, oh, I love that. And I'm so into this the jam grass movement right now in the States. Oh, jam grass. I don't even think I know about that. But oh, I'm boy. Have, All right. Have to seek it out. I got a bunch of bands you need to listen to. Excellent. Um, let me see. What got me into banjo? My dad had one, and then I was sort of messing around on it. And it sort of offers up different chords and different picking patterns to a guitar. So it was kind of fun. Oh, really? That way. And then a friend of mine... Um, was sort of getting rid of a banjo and got rid of it in my direction and mm. so I've just been sort of playing playing it or you know since then really but then yeah for me it's just a different it's a different sort of bunch of frequencies and a different bunch of notes that come out that sort of offer themselves up when you're looking for chords or picking patterns and stuff it's just a different sort of physical sensation yeah and it sounds awesome and different and not a lot of bands incorporate the banjo into maybe, yeah, know, into yeah. their playing i guess so i, I, I mean and like I, I, I maybe i'm just drawn I, <laughs> I i feel like i'm drawn to it somehow you know yeah it is a nice one but the banjo is funny because you can just have s like how different banjo sound is so extreme i think like i mean maybe someone would disagree with this statement but i feel like when you're listening to guitars you know, you've got two acoustic guitars next to each other. You can hear the difference, but often it sounds like the same instrument. It sounds like it's an acoustic guitar, whatever. But you feel like yeah. you can get two banjos next to each other that are just so insanely different sounding. It's just like a different um, instrument almost. Is it just, is that kind of just the way the structure of it and the way that it's put together yes, physically? structure. Uh, like all the different ingredients like whether it's a vellum vellum skin or whether it's a plastic skin whether it's like because what i play look i have one here to show you what oh. i play is like a um it's a british type of banjo called a zither banjo which they made like uh -huh. in the sort of 20s. is that the one with the like the it looks like a classical guitar headstock on it yeah exactly oh look it, oh look. yeah that's i was looked at that and i was like what that's and, interesting and it's funny because everyone thinks that it's a six string banjo but actually it's just a normal, standard sort of five string setup but because these it got mass produced and these came in strips of three, so they just got one of them just isn't used. Oh, like the nut here is cool. is for four strings, but the drone check it out the drone instead of being a tuning peg halfway up the neck, it's a little tunnel, <laughs> and it goes all the way down and then tunes up here. So it's really nice. Oh, so they take advantage of this that there's six um six tuning pegs. Yeah, they decide to drill a fiddly ah. tunnel instead of just doing an easy thing up the neck. So but you have to thread you thread the uh, you thread the yeah. string all the way up through that thing all the way up there. Take it all the way through, and it's really great if you're left-handed because oh, then you don't have to get a special left-handed banjo. You can just flip it over and do it upside down wise. Oh, interesting. There we go. So Zither banjos, they sound one way because they've got the closed back and they've kind of got like the resonator inside and then other ones that don't have resonators or closed backs or whatever. There's so many sort of variables with banjos. I feel like the, that's maybe what makes them sound so right. very different from each other. But that's that's the main one that you use? That's the main one I use, yeah. It's a bit old and fragile. I've got a backup one as well, which doesn't play so nice, but it is less precious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And it's cool just to have a lot of gear just to lug around, you know? Kind of. I mean, it's a little bit of a body breaker, but yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, right. making me ache just thinking about it. The number of times I've just been fighting my way ask, onto a train. With a ask your drummer to carry your stuff for you. They're used to the, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, the thing is with drummers, you're a little bit stuck. You just have to learn to drive. 
it's just like oh yeah interesting there's just no right. option although having said that i do there's a really nice drummer i sometimes work with in paris who doesn't drive he just sort of balances it on his bike but yeah most drummers i think is you learn to drive or you don't play the drums and what's the gigging like in paris i mean are are you would ordinarily would you play small clubs in 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 paris or are you generally i used to doing larger yeah let me try and work it out yeah i used to like when it was more up to me and there was less of a structure and less of a tour agent and you know less mm-hmm. of less of a team then yeah loads of you know busking and playing in little clubs and stuff and just organizing it ourselves but now i kind of have to respect the plans that get made so yeah so i guess there's less um spontaneous playing in little places and more like waiting until it's my turn to play in the venue that the agent would like me to play in <laughs> so i mean right well that's a, there's a there's a good trade-off with that too and that you're more of, successful yeah. but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a tricky um it, it is one of the things it's a conundrum it's one of the touring conundrums for me is the fact that um well for someone who's used who spent a lot of their career just organize doing it themselves and booking through people you know and like working with little grassroots promoters and stuff to all of a sudden to be honest it's probably not all of a sudden but to realize that at some point you've become part of the system where you can't just support those little venues and smaller promoters anymore like they they helped you out so much when you were just uh, you know scraping by and then now now i'm not allowed to go back there and like do a sold out show for them because of these sort of structures that are in place to you know make sure everyone gets paid basically so i understand that it's like a yeah i mean would you like to do something like that yeah i really miss it i'm i love the little scuzzy venues i i i think it's so important that um local independent promoters exist and like are putting on events i just feel like it's a really important part of the sort of musical ecosystem and the fact that um i can't be sort of feeding back into that as much as i'd like to is quite frustrating but Mm. every now like i don't know what it's like in the u.s but in january in the uk there's like independent music venues week and that is the week of the year when i'm allowed to like go back and play in like the small independent places oh really interesting so so i'm like okay january block it out yeah well i mean we have our own political struggles here but we've been um you know there's a uh, National Independent Venues Association, NEVA, that was lobbying to get the Save Our Stages Act, which was part of the whole larger $1.9 trillion financial aid package overall, and get that put into that and that everything, that all passed. So now, I mean, there are un- unfortunately a lot of venues that suffered and went out of business, yeah. a couple famously, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, a lot of venues are hopefully now getting financial aid federally and have been some have been able to stay afloat and yeah you know but we don't know we didn't have like a, a venue week to my knowledge <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, the same like it's not like it's it's just a yearly thing that happens it's like record store day it's just uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just a thing that happens every year it's nothing to uh, do it wasn't COVID. necessarily covid no, uh, no, inspired no, okay no. that was my leap of assumption there but <laughs> It was a it was a logical assumption, however. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In these times, most. If I do are, say so, if I do say so myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's. I think it's really important the smaller venues and and the communities yeah. that go with them as well because they do have a really like dedicated crowd. Like a lot of little venues I know in the UK that are really under threat at the moment, they're just being kept afloat by the sort of local punters, as it were, buying merch or like not yeah. asking for ticket refunds or whatever. Just. 
Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's an important part of, of, of the yeah, that's what I, yeah, I was going to ask you about like how that's happening there in Britain, which I'm sure that you're still um, pretty in touch with and in Paris as well. I mean, yeah. a lot of the same ways that it's happening here, like just um, venues will get involved with promoters and then promoters will promote an online stream and be and like film it at a particular venue and yeah. kind of generate um generate some exposure and uh awareness and uh, hopefully people will donate and uh um you know there's just been a lot of streams uh, i can't remember the one that was recently um it would have sort of nationally and then they had different performers performing at separate venues around the country okay, involved yeah. in one stream and That's and then nice. you'd be encouraged to to donate to different there's so many great independent venues in this country yeah, and it's yeah. like it's so broad i mean we're talking thousands and thousands of miles from ones in new york oh to God, los yeah, angeles to nashville philadelphia everywhere you know yeah. um I understand you've been you're, you're fairly political, at, politically active, and enjoy getting involved in local politics. Or well, I mean, I think it's everyone's responsibility to try to if they can. But I mean, I for example, I can't get. I mean, it depends what your definition of getting involved in local politics is, because I can't get involved in politics in the UK because I've been there. I haven't. I've lived out of the UK for more than fifteen years now, so that's my. Um, mm-hmm. That's me out of, I mean, I can talk about stuff, but I can't vote or whatever. And then right. in, in terms of my political activity in France, I can't vote because I'm no longer European because of Brexit. And so, like, I can't, so there's like being political and like talking about stuff and like, you know, spreading the word or whatever, or, you know, having yeah. discussions or doing what you think is the right thing. But then in terms of actually participating and voting, I've got to try and, I don't know what I can do because it. There's no country I'm allowed to vote in at the moment, which is a bit of a weird mm. state of affairs. Yeah, well, come on over to the States. I'll let you vote here if you want. <laughs> You'll let me vote. Okay, Josh says I can, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not voting for, you know, you know who. Yeah, well, which is not an issue anymore. For the right person. But yeah, I mean, like, when I was funny, because when we played in the UK with the National, it was really heating up just pre-election time in the UK, and it was the last election I was allowed to vote in. And, mm. um, and I actually... We had a gig in Brighton and I managed to find like, um, there was people doing canvassing. Is it called canvassing in America as well? When you go around and people knock on people's doors and talk to people about their yeah, voting yeah. choices. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, great, I've got three hours between um, now and sound check. I've got to go do some canvassing. Oh, wow. And it was really great to go and to go and like meet people who were enthusiastic and trying to, you know, make a difference and help and get get what we thought was the right vote, you know, get people voting for who we thought were the right, um, you know, team. As it right, were. right. But it's hard when you meet, when you knock on people's doors and then they're just, they don't want to know and they're just worried about themselves and their money and their car. And there's not this, me- there's not this mentality of like, how can I vote to help people who are worse off than me? There's just only like, me, 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 what can I get out of this? How can I get the most you know, it's just, it's really hard to sort of stay positive and like proactive politically when, when actually faced with the reality of people's opinions. You're basically saying, why the fuck am I doing that then? <laughs> well, I mean, at the time I was like, I know I'm doing this, I know I'm doing this, but by the end of the day, I was like, wow, no one 
cares <laughs> but that's not yeah. true of course it was just that on this particular street that we had been um you know talking to people on there was a lot right of, because like, they threw you into an unfriendly neighborhood politically <laughs> well, I mean, you've, you've, you've got to go to the neighborhoods that the, um, you know, right. The, the, well, maybe you made a di- maybe you made a difference. I don't know. I, I'm not going. I'm not going door to door, but I support yeah. liberal political causes that yeah, yeah. you know that ha- could have a positive influence on others' lives. And I too share that attitude. That yeah. how are people not worried about what the standard of living is for the worst? If you're not worried about what the how the worst person is off, then you know I think there's some problems. Yeah, but it's in tricky because a lot of people feel like they are the worst person off. Like, and that itself is a right. problem. But then I don't want to, you know, it's not my place to say you're not the worst person off. It could be way worse off. You know, it's hard. There's a lot of work to be done, I think, in terms of getting people to sort of open up and think about stuff. Right. Well, you certainly have people open up and think about stuff when you write music, I think, for sure. I, I mean, so. I think that you're, that you're doing that. And yeah. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, if I we didn't talk briefly about Ursula K. Le Guin. Because oh, I be actually, remiss. I hadn't heard, I, I was like so inspired that that was part of your choices on this album and probably prior ones. But because I hadn't read her since college and I read Left Hand of Darkness and I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. I remember I loved her and yeah, I love those she's books. Just brilliant. I'm sitting in front of my Ursula Le Guin shelf now, actually. If I could oh. flip the camera around, you can see it, but I can't. I'm too plugged into too many cables. But yeah. Yeah. What, what and a, like on one, and one album and, and on one song before you launch into her, I mean, just the mention of wizards and, uh, magicians wizards and magicians in that in one song and was magician and then there's vampires in another song i'm like i'm on board <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, i know it's just a total all right, i don't want to make be too much fest. of a yeah i don't want to be too much of a geek and ask her if she was into lord of the rings but i'm just gonna you know I well know. i'm totally into lord of the rings i was brought up on tolkien so <laughs> there I'm you into go it. <laughs> Right on, right on. But um, so how was how did Ursula Le Guin um, how how did she play such a significant role? She's just a favorite author of yours. She's just a favorite author. Like she, her writing's incredible, and I feel like her um, because she's also a poet. Her relationship with language again and the sound of words. I mean, maybe that's it. Because I'm someone that's into like the sound of words and how to place them, and you know, syllables and things like that it's mm-hmm. kind of like this 3d material for me it's like kind of a lump of clay or something you kind of shape words right. a bit like that and i am um, ever so much of what she writes just really resonates i just sort of think i just sort of think oh yeah snap <laughs> that's what i think too or yeah. if, if i don't if i'm not just thinking oh yeah finally someone else who thinks that i'm thinking oh wow that's an amazing idea that i'd never thought of how brilliant that you've written that in your book like all of her writing and poetry is just so enlightening. I'm trying to look for inspiration up on my shelf here. <laughs> I know. Give you some examples. But, you know, she's just so good at thinking outside the box and thinking humanely and humanly and mm-hmm. observing what people are like without being too judgmental. Like so many authors, their opinions get in there a bit too much and you think, all right, fair enough, you don't like this sort of behavior, but whatever. But she's, right. I feel like she's very good at being like impartial, but at the same time, imparting this knowledge and this kind of wisdom that is really beneficial, I think, to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, she was very, oh, just, um, 
yeah, sci-fi writers have a way of looking at the world that sort of kind of really reflect in such an interesting and oftentimes offbeat way. But of course, it's always based on what we're experiencing and what they're experiencing. Yeah, it's but it's all just totally could be happening now. I mean, I feel like I saw a thing with um, Margaret Atwood where she talks about, um, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, for example. That's, you know, mm -hmm. technically yeah. sci-fi or fantasy or whatever you want to call it. Dystopia. Yeah, but she says that, you know, everything that happens in that book has happened or is happening now in our real, this real world. So like, and I feel like that's actually true for most kind of fantasy and sci-fi, even, you know, obviously not the magic stuff and the floating around or whatever, but right. in terms of... That's just the, fun to put in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in terms of the way people treat each other and you know, the things that are possible or impossible or difficult or the things that people do in their lives. It's all just... Well, also the big picture of men, like to go to the Margaret Atwood analogy, if men are making decisions over what women can do with their bodies. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, a, <laughs> that's, that's going on, that's, unfortunately. It's a pretty sci-fi idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it were only sci-fi. would yeah, be a lot... It would be a lot better if it was an imaginary sort of... Um, worst case scenario but actually it's the actual case scenario that we need to deal with but yeah and to uh, looking at your songwriting and the national were you on were you working out some of those songs on tours when i understood yeah exactly um uh just whenever i was able to be in a room on my own which is quite often um because of the nice touring conditions i yeah. would like you know try and work some stuff out and make recording notes and then the whole time I was sort of sending the notes to um Josh Kaufman who produced the record so he was kind mm -hmm. of when I can't remember when he agreed to do it but um it was well, from, from as soon as he sort of said yeah I'd be up for doing it I was sort of sending him sort of voice memos and things like that and so that was happening and, all, and it was nice because he even like um came on tour I think he replaced Bryce for a show or two in Mexico. Oh, Josh Coffin in Mexico. Yeah. I went to Mexico City actually, oh, but I didn't you? go to the Guadalajara oh, show. Oh, yes. Well. So I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I kind of I'm kind of glad I missed it cuz I <laughs> I love Bryce so much yeah, and I'm yeah, sure. like I would have been bummed. I think that was like a I didn't know if it was a last minute thing or not. I didn't, I didn't. But yeah, I saw that show before though. But it was brilliant because yeah, I did miss Bryce because it's just lush when Bryce is on stage, but it's such a pleasure being on stage with Josh. And he's such yeah. a freaking pro. He's just there. He doesn't have any posh in-ear monitors. He's just got one wedge and his guitar that he always uses and an amp. And he just plays beautifully and perfectly and learns Bryce's parts, but then also adds his own flair. Like it was such yeah. a pleasure to behold. I guess it would have been inter it would have been super interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'll try to find a recording of that somewhere or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was really good. Were you at the Mexico shows also? I was at the Mexico shows. Yeah, exactly. The Mexico City was oh my god. Because <laughs> that was like in a big sort of bunkery. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't narrow it down much. Is it big bunkery? It was type a little venue. like the mission. It was a little like the mission ballroom, kind of a huge <laughs> yeah. boxy room. Yeah. yeah. But, um, right. but a nice With show. a super high stage, and that was kind yeah, of annoying. Yeah, it was super high. You're right. But I feel like yeah. the audience were really super warm. I think it was a nice, nice show. Oh, they were memory. packed in there like sardines. It was nuts. Yeah. Take a bathroom break once. That was crazy. Did you manage to get back to your original spot? Or was it oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Always. But still, um, <laughs> I'm a pro at doing that. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, for sure. But um, but yeah, that was it. Was an interesting. I haven't gone to a lot. Uh, uh, I mean, I've gone to a couple shows internationally, but that was an interesting one. And and what a wonderful city that is. And I was oh, able yes. to see a couple other bands. I saw um, Jenny Lewis was there the night oh, after that. Great, great, yeah. And then the night after that, Cherry Glazer, which is a kind of pant rock punk band, was was there as well in a different, completely different venue. So. Brilliant. I got to take in a couple different venues in Mexico City, and that's such a great town. Yeah, we were there for a few days, if I remember rightly, and I just walked and walked and walked. Yeah, And it was right? so great, just all the different neighborhoods and seeing all the different stuff around. You're never going hungry in Mexico City. There's always a taco. Yeah, it's such a nice, it's such a nice way of being, the fact that there's just like street food is like a normal normal way of existing i love it really nice i love that yeah nice yeah of course i got sick on the last night but you know unlucky <laughs> <laughs> but i designed it so at least i would i had I, I went there and like the national the show was like the national was the first night i was there yeah. and then like three other nights was like that okay well i'm, I'm good now <laughs> yeah it's good you organized it well well done <laughs> yeah yeah um so was that different? Let's just to circle back and I'll let you go. But I mean, to, uh, to, for writing those songs while you were also performing in another, in, in the national, in another band, was that, did that kind of add to your experience of writing or I, what I did, mean, what did that sort of look like from your perspective? It probably did. At the time, it felt like I was, it was sort of separate things that were happening at the same time. But um, yeah, well done for remembering what we were talking about. I'd wandered off my mind and wandered off a bit there. <laughs> I get a lot of practice of just going off on tangents and back reeling it. Topic. I'd reel it back in. Well done. That is a really good skill. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just me and my brain, you know, chipping away at songs, feeling like I wasn't getting anything done. But then by the end of it, I was like, oh, I've actually got a few songs here. But I do, I, I would like it if some of, if, if being on tour with the National influenced it a bit. I mean, obviously it did because where you are and what you're doing does influence what you're writing, but it did mm -hmm. feel like a real study. It felt like I was like every night just sort of here listening to and like reading the lyrics of and then learning these songs um, by this one group of people was real um, education. It felt like I was doing like a intensive course in, you know, like some sort of degree course in the inside of Matt's brain or something. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> right. really wow. Cool. What is, what was that like? <laughs> it's just great. It's a total privilege to have this like full immersion of this one yeah. person and also group of people's art form. You get to, yeah. you really get to like work over some of the nitty gritty bits of stuff. Interesting. Or, you know, my own interpretation of it, obviously there's no way I'm ever going to presume to know what anything any of it's about but just it's really nice having that relationship with such a big hefty body of work yeah yeah um i know i, I heard you say somewhere that you became like a, a doing a phd in national songs <laughs> exactly yeah exactly it felt like that i mean phd is probably pushing it a little bit that was that was an exaggeration right. but you know a b-tech national a level GCSE. <laughs> I don't know. Now you're talking like European, British yeah. kind of educational level. So you could say whatever you want, really. It all sounds super impressive. When you also, when you say it with a British accent, it always sounds way more important. No. <laughs> what, what's, one, what's one of your favorite uh, songs that you were doing? So, two part question What was one of your favorite songs off of uh, I'm Easy to Find and also just, um, you know, from their, from their catalog? 
well, off I'm easy to find. Well, I just, every night, I remember really loving um, Oblivion, especially when Pauline was there <sighs> and, and she was mm-hmm. doing it. And it wasn't me shitting myself. <laughs> okay, here it comes. But, like, I just yeah. loved it. It made me so happy hearing her sing and hearing her sing with Matt and hearing the band play it. Really loved it. So I think off yeah. I'm easy to find, probably Oblivion's. Oblivion's, that's right. I always forget that it's got an S on it. And yeah. then... Um, and then what was the rest of your question? <laughs> oh, just from the, uh, that's not off of easy to find. Ah, um, I love Lemon World. And, um, yeah, you covered that on a YouTube. Yeah, uh, exactly. Thing. I, I saw you do that. Yeah, it sounded great. Because I just, it's just such a great song. But there are, there are so many songs that I really enjoyed um, singing when I was on tour with them. Oh. Yeah, shit. There's loads, but guess what? I don't know the titles to any of them. I could probably there, there, yeah, no. You come by it honestly. I'm sorry. God damn. Now, now I'm like I put you totally on the spot. You already, you already told me that you weren't any good with song titles. So, God. but you know, I'd have the set list every night. But um, and somehow I got all right. All right. It, I'm not, I, I didn't, didn't mean to put you on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I barely know my own time. I mean, I'm not. I was going to ask you specifically about Lemon World because I know you covered okay. that in a in a performance, and I love that song too. I, just, I did notice you were looking at you had a lyric sheet going, but there it's hard. Yeah, it is. There's hard. so many words, and and you I just need the Dumbo magic feather sometimes just to sort of get you through <laughs> the bouncing ball, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. True. It's crazy stuff. It's interesting and. Oh, I love and I and I, I I know that I've been leaning into this that you've been touring with the national, but you know I, I love talking about touring and such, and it's such an interesting and integral part of your your where you are currently in my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yep. So I thank you for indulging me on that for quite a you know on a lot of the questions, You're but welcome. and what we talked about, but I I I truly love your. Uh, I truly love your work, and I hope you come to the States when we're all through all of this. Yeah, I hope so, too. I do. I keep finding myself having real pangs for, like, certain little spots in the States. I I mean, I'm I'm conflicted because I feel like it's not a great environmental answer, is it, getting planes everywhere? But there are certain places that I really am fond of in the States. It'd be nice to go back and play there. Oh, what do you like? What's your favorite place out here? Well... Well, to be honest, actually, I'm really fond of playing in Chicago because we stay at our friend Michael's house and he's a total legend. And mm-hmm. um, we usually play at Constellation, which I really, really love. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so that's always nice. We've got really good friends that we stay with in Portland, so that's always really enjoyable as well. And um, I just love the West Coast. I just love the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, Seattle. Oh my god, I love Seattle so much. I just love going and hanging out by the locks. The is it Ballard Locks? They're called, I think. And sounds familiar. I'm not from Seattle. Oh I have god. only been there once. I saw a sea lion there once, and it blew my mind because it wasn't a seal; <laughs> it was an actual sea lion, and I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're all over the place. You go to San Francisco and in San Diego, they had to like close a beach for, I don't know if they're sea lions or seals. I don't even know what the difference is. One has ears, one doesn't. Oh, one has on. like. You got to know the difference between sea lions and seals. <laughs> oh, so what is it then, Kate? Well, they look different. I mean, one looks like a sea lion and one looks like a seal. Oh, oh, yeah, that's the difference. Right. 
<laughs> but yeah, sea lions are just big. They're real. They're they're big, and they sort of hold themselves differently, don't they? When they're on their rock, they're a bit more sort of like, you know, doing an upward dog or whatever. And then seals, are a bit more nippy, a bit smaller. Ah, uh, okay. Those are the, so seals are the ones that get eaten by great whites mostly in California. Yes, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Lovely little seal. They make a little snack. Yeah. Mm-hmm, like a little hors d'oeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> poor old seals poor old great white they get a bad they get a bad um rep don't they rap or whatever the word is bad reputations the sharks bad rap i think i don't know yeah, yeah. bad rap um, and a bad reputation. that's on my bucket that's my on my bucket list is uh getting in a cage or just seeing a great white in nature yeah. which you can do in california there's um there's the Farallon Islands off the coast of San Francisco, like 180 miles out. Um, and you can take a boat out there and possibly see some great whites. And Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I think sharks are pretty amazing. cool. They get, they've got a bad, um, they get a bit of stick, but, you know, good on them. Good on yeah, the well, I'm older than you and I remember when Jaws came out too, so. I've never seen Jaws. Oh my god! I mean, there's some critical people are like, "Oh, that was that's like shitty," and you'll find like this the if there's like zero. I mean, there's special effects, but it's kind of like it's 1978 or something, 76. I don't yeah, know. The 70s when. was a dodgy time, wasn't it, for women women being in films? It wasn't always. Oh yeah, that too. It wasn't yeah. Always a, it's not always a fun watch for the in the 70s. But all right, so maybe skip that one. Maybe skip it. Also, at the moment, I like sharks, so maybe if I watched yeah, it, it would change maybe, my mind. Sh- yeah, well, it's kind of weird that way, but it's a good story. But uh, yeah, Shark Week, I think you should stick with. Okay. On Discovery Channel. Shark Week. Which week is it? <laughs> Do you it? get that? No, I don't. I, I don't. don't. I don't um, get the Discovery Channel, but I'm sure I could find it on YouTube or something. Oh, like, you know, yeah. some Shark Week things. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're on the web. <laughs> There's a thing called the internet. <laughs> There's a thing called the internet, and if you just type in sharks. <laughs> well, if we're talking about internet and such, I wanted to ask you... I keep saying before you go, but um, is it hard touring? Because you have you have a young child, daughter, and yeah. how is that? Is that what was that like for you as a mom? Well, that's a good question. It's also a question that I wish that men got asked more often because mm. because um, they don't normally get asked it. But I'm up for being asked it as well because it is relevant. Um, well, she was basically she's 14 now, and she. Uh, until she was six, which is what time in France you start obligatory full-time school, um, mm-hmm. she would just come on tour with me because me and my partner Jesse were both in This Is The Kit and so we would tour all together. And mm-hmm. But then when she was six and going to school, he, we agreed that he'd stay and facilitate that and then we'd sort of take turns to be away and stuff because he also does other projects and tours and stuff. But right. um, But when I was touring with her... Well, it's really, really hard, but I don't feel like, but I wouldn't have done it another way because um, why would I choose not to be with my daughter when I could, you know, I could make it work. So I chose to make it work. You know. Yeah. How old was she when she would, when she would go with you? I started touring again a bit too soon, actually. I started touring again when she was three months old. And so between, so from three months to six years, she was like on the road with us when we would tour sometimes not sometimes like my parents would take her for a week or something you know like because it's quite um heavy duty physically and psychologically i found it quite hard absolutely but it seems like things are changing now I, i see a lot of stuff um online about um 
you know, facilitating parents on tour. Mm -hmm. So I hope that that continues because I feel kind of bad about some of the situations that I was in with her. Like some, like a lot of awful things could have happened and didn't happen luckily. But you know, times when she was like on her own in very sort of dangerous rooms, you know, electrical cables, like weird fluids everywhere you know it's like sometimes i'd like get backstage from doing a gig and i'd be like oh wow this just looks like a child abuse charity poster you know because she had just fallen she would just put her to sleep and put her in a room on this horrible scuzzy sofa with in a normal sort of backstage room with loads of like cock and ball pictures or like graffiti all over the walls (laughs) and she'd just be there like with headphones on like in front of a laptop and this little four-year-old like watching mary poppins or whatever (laughs) right and I just would think, oh fuck, what my, what, what a kind of a bad yeah. parent am I? But you know, she, she survived. She doesn't remember it. Yeah, she survived. And what she remembers is just having a nice time watching videos and being spoiled by the other adults that were on tour. So, you know, she's all right. She's all right. I think it taught her to be adaptable because she got used to sleeping anywhere, right under any like like the noisy conditions. Like a lot of people are like, don't speak my child's sleep. But it was almost the opposite for her. She would fall asleep once the band started playing because she'd, she'd just sort of yeah. we'd put her in a guitar case and then she'd be off. Well, I keep thinking like, why, did I ask you that only because you're a woman? But I it was. it's more like, I mean, I think if a man took his kid on tour at that early age, which I don't know happens very often, but... Well, I mean, they'd have to take their, the, the mother on tour as well, which does happen sometimes because you're in a band together. But yeah. if you weren't in a band together, there would be the question of like, well, maybe you're just going to have a nicer time at home. <laughs> right, right, but, right. But, but I mean, for example, like Mike um, brought his kid on tour when we were doing the, some of the easy to find shows because Mike was on tour with us for that. And that um, was nice. Mike that Mills? There was a, yeah, that there was a dad taking his kid on tour. And then also, yeah. um, you know, different different members of the band actually had their kids duck in and out of the tour which is nice yeah it's, interesting it's cool they, they, there's kind of there's the space for it which is good right right well this has really been a pleasure kate i so Likewise, appreciate you and i appreciate talking to you and i appreciate your time for being here and um thanks for indulging me on so many uh going in so many different directions and well, you're welcome. You're just you're you're lovely and um, you're so talented and uh, wow. Thank you. Thanks for putting up with all of my waffle because I feel like I'm not a concise question answerer. So good luck with the editing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the thumbs up. Man. <laughs> oh, you know what? The easiest part is that I'll just leave it all in. There we go. Leave it all in. Yeah. All, the, all the sort of log out, log in, rebooting. We'll see. But well, yeah. no, the rebooting and stuff, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> It's going on tangents is the best part. That's why I'm here. Okay, good. Yeah, well, it's very nice to just have a sort of easygoing chat with someone, but I hope it's not going to be dull as shit to listen to. No, no, just you s- going, no, just, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I, I, <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Kate. Thanks, Kate Josh. Stables, and um, really love your work. Thanks for being here. Okay, that was Kate Stables with me on Roadcase. Oh, I just loved having Kate here. She was so gracious with her time, and um, she indulged me and uh, talked about uh, the tour with the National. But that's kind of one of the more interesting things about 
Kate is that, uh, you know, we got to see that perspective of Kate going from uh, van tours or just kind of more simplistic DIY kind of scenarios to um, a huge uh, touring operation and juggernaut like uh, is the national and uh, touring in a bus and staying in hotels, et cetera. And hearing Kate's perspective on that uh, was kind of a really interesting uh, description from the inside of that live music experience and seeing how uh, Kate uh, experienced all that kind of life and also being on stage and that I got to see her perform and we got to talk about that a little bit. And that's, uh, that was really interesting. And I thank Kate again for sharing all that with me. And, um, she was such a lovely person. I really enjoyed talking with her. Um, she's very political and literary. And we talked about, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, which was interesting and does figure in uh, to a large part in the lyrics on her latest album off, off on, which I, thoroughly and utterly recommend uh it's a great listen it's a beautiful and gorgeous album and i truly love it i bought it on this beautiful green vinyl there's all kinds of different really cool merch and there's some playing cards with all different suits of uh i, I forgot to ask her even about that that was uh, just really cool and incredibly creative and uh amazing artist and uh i just loved talking to her can't wait to see uh kate perform with this is the kit i'm hoping she comes back to the states i know she already set up some tour dates uh later on this year uh in the uk and in europe um and i wish her well with those hoping she'll swing through chicago and play at constellation that she says is one of her her favorite venues and i hope for her sake she makes it back out to the northwest but um i had a great time talking to kate uh loved her uh musical influences and that solved that kind of riddle for me which was uh very velvet undergroundy which uh really does make a lot of sense uh and uh so i would suggest you know if you go out and listen to the album check out some cuts from the velvet underground especially that what goes on uh track that we talked about uh together um and one of her favorite dead tunes is this incredibly deep cut by phil lesh called unbroken chain which just i was like oh okay I, <laughs> I, uh, I dig your musical taste even more now. So that was really cool. Um, anyway, thanks for joining me for this episode. Um, really had a great time talking with Kate Stables. Hope y'all enjoyed that. And I want to thank Kate again for spending time with Roadcase. And again, thanks again for listening. Thanks to Kate for being here on this special episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And if you are able to and like to support Roadcase, we have a Patreon site at patreon.com slash roadcasepod. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>